1: Welcome, everyone. Uh, My name is Ken. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are thankful that you've decided to start your week off worshiping with us here at uh, Quad City Christian Church. And if this is one of your first times visiting with us, uh, we're especially glad you're here, and we'd love the opportunity to meet you, we being our ministry staff. So, the way we do that is as you exit the auditorium, off to the right under the stairs, there's a place called Pastor's Point. This is a chance to say hi before you head out for your day. And for those of you participating online, we're grateful Uh, whenever and wherever you are participating, thank you for being part of the Quad City family. Today, we're kicking off a brand new sermon series. Oh, by the way, do you like my strategically placed Quad City merch? (laughs) Just happened to be a blue bottle that the orange sticker went on. So you can get the sticker, but you got to go buy your own bottle. Today, we're kicking off a new sermon series. And what we wanna talk about over the next four weeks is the mission of Quad City Christian Church, which is real helpful for those of you who are kind of new to this scene. It helps you understand who we are. And we're doing this because whether we articulate it or not, realize it or not, every one of us in every area of our life are driven by a mission. We might not put pen to paper, we might not say it aloud, but we do it. Think about your parenting, you're aiming for something with your parenting. It could be the fact that you wanna raise well-adjusted adults that are a blessing to our culture and our society. Maybe your mission is just to get them raised up and out as quickly as possible. (laughs) And we have five kids and we used to laugh because the first four, they're within three and a half years. We're like, oh, this, this nest will empty quick, it'll be great. Joke's on us, between number four and five is seven years. So there's this long speed bump before that nest will empty. Think about work. You might want to be at the top of the heap, right? The number one sales rep, the best teacher, the best plumber, the best attorney, the best programmer, you want to be at the top of the heap. Or maybe you just want to do as little work as possible and not get fired. So here's a pro tip for you. Work for the federal government. I'm just kidding. That's really just a joke. I am just kidding. If you get elected to Congress, then that might be all true. You just talk about stuff all the time and do nothing. Something drives your work habits. You have a mission with work. What about your marriage? Maybe your mission is for your marriage to have the best marriage you could possibly have. Maybe your mission is, I just want it to be better than what I was shown. I just have to have a better marriage than my parents did. Right now, maybe some of you are just holding on. The mission is to not get divorced. Maybe your mission is, I want to be happy, and that includes getting a divorce, so this thing is over. Your mission drives what you do, whether you state it aloud or not. Every person, every company, every family, every corporation, every organization is driven by a mission. And that holds true here in this body of believers, what, with the, what we would call an ecclesia. We are driven by a mission. And we don't want to look back at a few years and realize, oh, that was the thing that was driving us. We want to have a mission that moves us forward, back on in retrospect. Now, if you've been around for a while, last decade or so, you probably already, Ken, I know your mission, right? Making disciples starting in Prescott. That's how we have have phrased it. Uh, and And we've had that mission for the last decade because that's our calling. That's the calling of all Christians. We didn't make it up. Jesus gives us this mission, and he gives this mission to his remaining 11 apostles. He had died. He was buried. He was resurrected, and he appeared for 30 to 40 days, and now he's got the, one of the 12 is dead. He's got 11 apostles gathered, and this is what he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so don't worry about the authorities on this planet. He said, I have all authority. Therefore, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is where our mission is derived from. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, you probably have a heading, it says the great commission. Jesus gave this commission to his disciples and every disciple after him which would include those of us who consider ourselves disciples of Jesus. And obviously some of them listened because we're here today. 2,000 years later and seven some thousand miles removed from where this statement was made, we're here today trying to do that. And we've said for years, making disciples starting in Prescott because for us that's where it started. But things are changing. Quad City Christian Church is now we're trying to stretch beyond Prescott. Not for the sake of putting people in a room, but for the sake of reaching people for Jesus. So our starting point is the Quad Cities. Right? We start Prescott Valley. Our soft launches start next week, and our grand opening is on February 20th. And, and who knows what else God has in store for us. We don't know where we go next. Do we go to Chino Valley? Do we go over Mingus Mountain? Do we go over uh, to the south of us, or the Bradshaw Mountains? Do we go to Wilhoy? We don't know. But what our leadership team did is they wanted to, we wanted to restate the mission statement uh, into a way that we can all grab a hold of. Not something that we just memorize and know it, but something we can orient our lives around, how we spend our time, our energy, our our money, what we, what do we do? Because we want this mission to drive us in our, the short time we have left on this planet. Whether this is our first year on it or our last year on it, the reality is we're all short timers. No one's getting out of here alive. Something's gonna drive us. And what is going to drive us? So here's how we decided to frame our mission statement. That we, Quad City Christian Church, we exist to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. This is it, everywhere, whether it's over the hill or up Chino Valley or whether it's in your neighborhood or your house. When do we wanna do it? Always. Doesn't mean you're always talking to people about Jesus, but this will always be the driver. So what we're gonna spend the next four weeks talking about this. And today we're gonna to talk about making more disciples, expanding the influence of God's kingdom. Now, if you've been in church world for any length of time, you would probably agree that it is a good thing for people to surrender to and start to follow Jesus. I'd say it's the best thing that can happen to anyone. Becoming a follower of Jesus is the best thing that can happen to someone. It doesn't mean your life is going to be rosy, sunshine, lollipops, and unicorn farts, right? it's, but it's going to be great. It's going to change you from the inside out. It doesn't mean your circumstances change, but you change. And you, when you follow Jesus, you always change for the better. Jesus doesn't lead you towards the worse. He leads you towards the better. And when we see people surrender to Jesus when they confess Jesus as Lord, when they get in the baptistry, they repent of their sin, we get excited, right? We clap. People are shooting videos. Some people are crying. We celebrate it. And we would all agree based on the text we just read that this is what God wants. He wants more disciples of him. These are our marching orders. Now, there are many things that we can do, Many other things that we do do, we are doing, and many other things that we should do. For instance, as followers of Jesus, we should care for widows and orphans. We should rescue children out of trafficking, feed hungry people, dig wells for clean water in developing nations, right? We should get backpacks for kids so they can get an education, have what they need. Medical centers for people in need. The, the church, and when I say the church, I mean people around the world in the name of Jesus provides like half of the medical care, medical care globally. We should do that. We should have daycare centers, school programs. We should build houses for people that need houses. Our student ministry is going to Mexico in a few weeks to build some houses. Uh, we should provide coats, you know, jackets for Jesus, for people who are homeless or, or without, for cold weather. We should do all these things. Now, it doesn't mean you personally do every one of those, but these are things that the body of Christ should be doing. But none of them are the mission. Every one of them are secondary to the mission of making disciples. These things are a means to an end. They are not the end themselves. Because in reality, if we do all of those things without making disciples, if, if we stock the pantry... If we build the house, if we dig the well, if we cure the disease, if we've alleviated earthly suffering, we've done a good thing. But if we don't ever make a disciple of Jesus, out, all we've done is made the way to hell more comfortable. And no one's really signing up for that. You don't want that. You don't want that to be the ultimate outcome. The person on the receiving end of your love and care does not want that to be the outcome, whether they're aware of it or not. We should do them. They're not the mission. They are a means to an end. Making more disciples of Jesus is the mission. Now, most of you in here get that. You agree with that, that the mission of the church is first and foremost to make disciples. But if you've, all of us have, we've spent a measurable amount of time in the American church, a disconnect has been created where there is the mission of the church and there's my mission. And they ought to be the same. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you are, you are the church. You are a part of the church. We'll hear the Great Commission. We say things like, yeah, the church ought to be doing that. And we leave here and we're grateful to be a part of a church that's trying to reach people. But we miss the part that we're expected to play. We say things like, yes, the church should be making disciples. That's the mission. And therefore, I will pray that God is with them. But it needs to be a God is with us. A God is with me. I am going to do this. The mission isn't just for pastors, elders, ministers, vocational ministry people. It's not for the super spiritual, not for missionaries. It's not for they or them or those who do it or or this one or that one. The mission is for me too. The mission is for you too. It goes for all of us. They heeded it in Matthew chapter 28. And we benefit from it today. And there are people that will benefit from you heeding that message in another 2,000 years. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, it will perpetuate that long. But the difficult question is how? Right? How do you go and make disciples? And there are many ways. Following the example of Jesus is probably the simplest way. But earlier this week, Jason and I were talking about if when it comes to making disciples, there's lots of ways, there's lots of things we can do. What's the minimum? What are the, the, you might need to do more than this. And I'm not saying we strive for the minimum. What I'm saying is what's the baseline of going and making disciples? And we came up with three things that we would say are irreducible minimums. If you're not doing this, you can't make a disciple. You can do other things and more things, but you have to do these three things. And here they are. The first one, is to be a disciple. Like you yourself, if you're going to make a disciple of Jesus, you have to be one. See, we could teach people what we know, but we reproduce what we are. So if you're not a disciple, but you know lots of things about Jesus, but you don't follow Jesus, you could teach someone all about him, but they're not going to be a follower. It's like this in all areas of life. You could teach someone about computer code, but if you can't help them put it together, they're never going to be a programmer. You could teach someone all about hunting, tell them all about it. But if you don't take them hunting, they're just going to be hiking with a gun. It's just not the same thing. (laughs) You have to be one in order to make one. So what is a disciple? This is is a term we only really use in church world, but it's not a church word. A disciple is a student, a learner, a follower. So if I wanted to be a great guitar player, I could be a disciple of Paul McCartney. And if I learn what Paul McCartney learned and do what Paul McCartney did, then I can learn to play the guitar like Paul McCartney. I won't have Paul McCartney's money, I won't have Paul McCartney's singing voice, but I could play the guitar like Paul McCartney. A disciple is not someone who simply knows what their teacher knows, it's someone who does what their teacher does. They are learning in an effort to strive to become like the teacher. And our American church or the American expression of Christianity is we know all about the teacher. We know what the teacher taught, but we don't necessarily become like the teacher. So we have these misconceptions in, our, in the American church about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and I, what it means to be a disciple. And I wanna hit four of them and clarify, because you might believe some of this, these things, but they don't make you a disciple. So there's four big ones. Here they are. The first misconception, or the first conception, I guess, is believing in Jesus doesn't make you a disciple. Because we hear all the time, believe. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. And we never define belief. So we can believe about Jesus, believe information, but that doesn't make us a disciple. And we know this because Jesus' own brother, this guy named James, who... At first, Jesus' family was very skeptical about him being who he says he was. They actually said he was crazy. And the fact that Jesus' own brother became a follower of Jesus tells me a lot. It tells me all I need to know that this guy really was. Because what would it take this guy, Jesus, really was who he says he was? Because what would it take for you to listen to your brother? Like, oh, yeah, you're the son of God? Right, you're going to start calling Joseph, dad, God. Like you, it, You're not buying what your brother's selling. Your brother's a difficult relationship. James followed. Here's what James said. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. They don't, belief probably isn't even the right word. They know. They don't believe. They've seen it. There is no doubt who Jesus is to Satan and his demons, which is more than can be said for a lot of us. And many of us who follow Jesus will often waffle. We might be, I'm 98% there. I'm there, I'm far enough along that I'm saying, yep, I'm following. And that last 2% will get made up along the way. I, I've been convinced enough that Jesus is who he says he is. That's the guy I'm following. There's no 98% with the demons or Satan. They believe, but that doesn't make him a disciple because he won't surrender. He won't yield his will to the master so he knows but he doesn't follow and there are many of us who say like i believe in god i absolutely believe that jesus is who he says he is and it's not it's like we did god a favor and it's not like god's the tooth fairy and he's like oh good they believe like i'm validated my fragile psyche is now validated that my creation has acknowledged me god does not need our validation we Need to surrender to Him. Believing in Jesus doesn't make you a disciple. Which takes us to our second misconception or conception. Knowing the Bible, knowing Bible stories doesn't make you a disciple. Some of you have been around church your whole life for a long time, and you can quote a lot of scripture. You've read it inside and out. You can be a part of a Bible study and you know the right questions to ask, you know the answers to the questions, Uh, and then you and the people around you, therefore, and understandably so, assume this person follows Jesus. This person is a disciple. But knowing the Bible doesn't make you any more a disciple of Jesus than knowing a map makes you a hiker's guide or a river guide. Just that doesn't mean you know it. Remember, the, the, the most critical people, the people who killed Jesus were the biblical experts. They knew the Bible inside and out. Jesus said to them, he said, you people study the scriptures diligently because by them you think you possess eternal life. Yet the scriptures point to me. He's like, you guys know your Bible, but you don't know the one the Bible's about. And I'm right in front of you. So we mistake biblical knowledge for a relationship with Christ. Now, biblical knowledge has immense value, but we don't just want to know it. We want to do what James tells us. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We've got to do what it says, not just know what it says. There's a great analogy uh, by an author and a pastor, and I, I wish it was my analogy, and just know this. The key to being original is forgetting your source. Now, I haven't forgotten the source, so I have to give credit to Francis Chan. Okay, this is his analogy. He says, imagine my daughter me. So my oldest daughter, Gianna. She comes to me and she says, Dad. Or I come to her and I say, Gianna, clean your room. Trust me, it needs to be cleaned. Gianna, clean your room. And an hour later, she comes to me and she says, Dad, I remember what you said. I'm like, oh, I say a lot of things. I don't know what I say. You said clean your room. Oh, good, right on, you remembered. Well, did you do it? No, no, I didn't. But I memorized it. And dad, not only did I memorize it, dad, I can say it in Greek. (laughs) Great, you can say it in Greek. And dad, tonight, my friends from school are coming over and we're gonna sit around and we're gonna talk about what you said to do. Okay, you gonna clean your room with your friends? No, absolutely not. And that's what we do. We do that. We have been conditioned by the American expression of the faith is we know scripture, but we don't do what it says. And we spend years, decades, and, we, and yes, by all means, memorize scripture. If you want to learn the Greek, do it, but not at the expense of obedience to the word. Knowing the word without doing the word doesn't make you a disciple. It makes you deceived. And the thing about being deceived is you don't know you don't know. So if this makes you a little nervous, maybe you should be. And that's a good thing. Pay attention. So belief and knowledge do not make you a disciple of Jesus. Let's see what's behind door number three. Going to church doesn't make you a disciple. In your Bible, from the book of Acts forward, which is the story of the church, there are many warnings about people who are amongst the fellowship. They are in the church and it, you, and they look like disciples and they're not. Peter, Paul, James, Jude, they use terms like antichrist, they call people savage wolves. They call people in the church savage wolves, false teachers. The places like the, the blackest darkness is reserved for them. Could you imagine if any one of the teacher, Jason or myself or anybody got up here and said, you blackest darkness is reserved for you and called you by name. Like you would be mortified. You'd be appalled. That happens. There are you, And it might be you that you're in the church, but you're not a disciple. Being in church doesn't make you a disciple any more than standing in your garage makes you a car. <laughs> Location doesn't make you a disciple of Jesus. Now, this one's going to sound sacrilegious. Making a decision to follow Jesus at one point, meaning you had that experience, you said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, but you never really followed through. That doesn't make you a disciple either. A lot of us do that. We make a decision, but we're not made into a disciple. Amongst the 12 apostles of Jesus, who all decided to follow him. Jesus said this about one of them. Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the 12 was later to betray him. I don't think Judas decided to follow Jesus and set out to betray him. I doubt that was what he had in mind from the get-go. Oh, I'm gonna get a bag of 30 pieces of silver in three years from now. When, when the time is right, I'm gonna turn him in. It's not what he did. I don't know what his motivation was. It was probably genuine at first. But what we see in Judas is someone who followed Jesus around, but didn't follow Jesus. And it's real easy to do that. We make a decision one time but we don't really do anything different. We make this agreement or this assent, but nothing changes. And I'm not talking about perfection. Hear me out here. This is not about perfection. It is about the direction of your life. If Jesus is this way, I'm going this way. Now I might meander a little bit, but I gotta keep coming back. If Jesus is this way and I'm like, too bad, I'm going this way. Well, then you haven't made a decision or you have made a decision. You've made the wrong one and one that you will, we will all come to regret. Judas followed Jesus for a while, but in the end, he wasn't a disciple of Jesus. You don't want that same to be said about you. Now, what's true about all of these things, all these things should mark a disciple. You know your Bible. You go to church, right? You, uh, you've made a decision. But these things in and of themselves don't make you a disciple. A disciple is someone who is purposely striving to become like Jesus, there's four passages I'm gonna hit in rapid succession, all in the New Testament. Uh, it's Paul, it's John that tell us how we're supposed to be made into the image of Christ. And we all, and writing to a church of followers of Jesus, and a lot of these people were a mess. So again, it's not about perfection. What's the direction we're going? We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, it should be getting better. We should be becoming more like Jesus. Not just learning more about Jesus, but as we follow, we become more like. And that comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We don't do it on our own. It's not like we can white-knuckle it and effort it. Yes, we have to put in effort. Jesus doesn't just wave a magic wand and transform us. We have to put in our effort. He will always do his part, but we have to do our part, and that's putting in the effort. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We want to be changed, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us. Like the greatest person to have ever walked the earth wants to like hang out with you and have fellowship with you. That's better than getting an invite to whoever's in the Oval Office, whether, you know, that changes every few years. Praise Jesus. Uh, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. We can't just say we believe. I guess we could, but it's not accurate. We believe and we don't live differently. We just believe the right information. We don't show that we are in Jesus. And finally, this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will all have confidence in the day of judgment. We all wanna have confidence when we meet our maker. Here's how you do it. In this world, we are like Jesus. Being a disciple means becoming like Jesus, not just believing in Jesus. Many of you were never taught that. You might've come to realize that over the years, but if your understanding is to be a disciple, I just believe and that's it, you've been misinformed. Let's help you become a disciple of Jesus. Because this begs the question, am I a disciple of Jesus? Only you can really answer that. We could have a conversation. I could help you flesh it out. But if you're not sure of the answer, it's probably no. So let's get you to yes. You're obviously putting in effort. You're putting in energy. You're here. Let's take the next step. Okay, the second requirement to making disciples of Jesus is this. To be in Relationships because many of us, when we think of what it means to make a disciple, we think of evangelism. We think of like cold contact, like I've got a sign, the end is nigh, or a sandwich board, repent or perish, or I just talk to people at the grocery store or at the hardware store or at the square, anywhere, just, just meeting people. And I had this picture that, that that's what my life was going to become when I decided to follow Jesus. I, when, when I realize I need to surrender, I got to stop fighting and start following. I'm like, okay, I've, I looked ahead 30 years. I'm like, I'm going to have this big white beard, which I'm working on it. You know, I have three teenagers. So it's going to be white before I know it. And I'll probably be without a home because I've given up everything. And I'll have this smile plaster on my face. that looks like I'm high on something. And I'm just going to be telling people Jesus loves them. I'm like, Okay, that's not really what I want, but if that's what it means, if that's what I got to do, I'm doing it. Now, my life looks looks nothing like that. I don't do that. I don't live like that. But I strive to make disciples. That's the mission of my life. You don't have to be a cold contact extrovert, right? I'll use an example. I'll use our illustrious leader Jason Price, who's not here, so I'll poke at him. He's home sick, so if he's watching, he gets to feel terrible. You ever watch Jason? He goes to the grocery store, tire shop, the nail salon. Because <laughs> so with that bald head, he's not going to the barber, right? <laughs> Wherever he goes, he's not one for talking to people, right? He talks at people, not to people. We got on an airplane once, what's he do? He puts on the hoodie, biggest headphones you could find, wear sunglasses on inside the airplane, just daring people to talk to him right? He's super introverted. Where I'm on the airplane, like I'm in the wedding of the guy sitting next to me next Tuesday. <laughs> like, it's just introvert, extrovert. It doesn't matter. It's not a thing about personality. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Now it's your turn to be put on the spot. So for those of you who would consider yourselves a follower of Jesus, would you please raise your hand? Excellent. Okay. Now put your hands down. Now, for those of you who just raised your hand, For those of you that would attribute you being a follower of Jesus to what a random stranger did, please raise your hand. Okay, both of you. Now, the rest of you, if you would attribute you following Jesus because of a relationship you had with someone, please raise your hand. I rest my case. We're done. We can go home now. (laughs) It's not even close. right? Making disciples, although random strangers can have the influence, and that happens. It's not the bullhorn. That happens for some people. It's not the street corner. It isn't arguing about religion on your Instaface. Okay, that's not what we do. It's building relationships with people. This was written to a church in a town called Thessalonica. They were the first Christians in this town. Paul, this guy who was a follower of Jesus, planted this church. And here's what he said to them in a letter. He said, just as a nursing mother cares for her children... So we cared for you. Like, man, you were that important. Like, you matter so much to me. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Our lives, this is how you do it. You love people. You share life with them. When I think of the people that helped me come to the faith and stay in the faith, strangers to you, Marco Pellizzari, Joe Fields, When I think of the people that I helped come to the faith, Albert Black, Darren Bayless, Justin Locke, names that don't mean much to you, but they mean a lot to me. We didn't just share the Bible together. We shared life together. We ate together. We camped together. We went to football games. We went to baseball games. We went to the gym. We prayed We had hard discussions. We had early mornings. We had late nights. We disagreed with each other. We've been upset with each other. All the while, wanting what is best for the other. And what is best is to become and continue to follow Jesus. The way the kingdom grows is through relationships. And we'll talk about that more in a couple weeks. the second thing you got to do or the third thing I should say, and the final thing, we share our lives, but we have to share the gospel. Being in relationship isn't just, it isn't enough. At some point you have to open your mouth. You absolutely have to share your life, but you have to talk about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. You're not gonna nice person your neighbor into becoming a follower of Jesus. You gotta talk about following Jesus. Now, if you're a lousy neighbor, don't talk to your neighbor about following Jesus because that's just not going to land right. Be a good neighbor first. like Do that part. Do it well. And then you've earned the right, if you will, to be listened to. Because you can say whatever you want to say, but it doesn't mean you're going to be heard. Let's go back to this slide. We shared not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We got to get to the gospel part. There's a saying that's probably come across your Facebook feed at one point. Uh, it's attributed to the Saint Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. And I think there's some truth to this, right? You better have a, a life that reflects the gospel, right? Like I said, don't be a lousy neighbor. But this ain't true. You have to use words. You have to. We don't, like I said, we don't good neighbor our way into people, bringing people into the kingdom. You can keep people out of the kingdom by not being a good neighbor. By being difficult, by being obstinate, by being obnoxious, and then talking about Jesus? Let's let's try to have our life and our belief match one another. It always requires words. This is what Paul said. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And preaching doesn't mean just someone up here yelling. It's the conversation you have. It's the, the conversation over coffee or, or they're confiding you about the difficult stage of their life. And like, Have you ever considered doing this God's way instead of the way you've done it the last 35 years because that same input keeps bringing you the same output and you want a different outcome? Well, let's put something different in. Someone has to tell them. The news has to be shared. There is no disciple making without gospel proclamation. That we'll talk about in the coming weeks. So as we go, we're going into this new season of ministry at Quad City Christian Church, new territory we wanna take. This mission is not just for the church at large. It's for you and me personally, personally. So for us to accomplish the mission, we gotta go back to these, these, these three things. We have to disciple. So you have to ask, am I? I think I said it earlier, if you're not, if you're not and you thought you were, let's talk about it, let's talk it through. If you're not sure, we need to talk it through. If you know you don't want to, keep coming. Trust me, keep reading, get open a Bible, learn about Jesus. This is the best thing that could ever happen to you is you follow Jesus. And if if you don't think you are, you're probably not. We have to be a disciple. We have to be in relationships. Pick one. Pick one person, it can be more, but at least have one whom you are intentionally, you're praying for, you're spending time with, you're building a relationship with whoever this one person might be in an effort to do this, to share the gospel. Start sharing your life on purpose, with purpose, and then tell them about Jesus. And if they say yes to Jesus, you've just invited them into the greatest relationship they've ever had. It would be like introducing them to their soulmate, if you will, right? To the, to the person they've dreamed of all their life. You can't do anything better for someone than helping them become a follower of Jesus. Let's do these things as we strive to advance the cause of Christ all throughout the Quad Cities. Let's thank God for today. Now, thank you so much that you didn't call us just to believe information, uh, just to know rules or laws, uh, but you've called us first and foremost to a relationship with you that is transformative and so very uh, life-giving and helpful would be an understatement, but it is so good for us. And then you give us this mission that we get to tell other people, we get to participate with others, uh, to bring them into a relationship with you. Thank you for that. I pray that love for you would drive us And that that would overflow into love for the people that you love so we can help everyone in our path, those who are receptive to come to a saving faith and a following of you. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen.